founders. Welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. All right, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with David Jones, the founder and CEO at The Talent Enterprise, a leading think and do tank focused on the elevation of human capital, integrating modern psychometric tools and assessment solutions with the latest advancements in artificial intelligence and data science. With over 30 years of human capital experience, David worked with clients in more than 40 countries on a broad range of talent, leadership, assessment, performance, transformation, and inclusion projects. He has written many books, and among his latest is The Future of Assessments. Forthcoming publications include research con contributions to volumes on the changing social contract in Saudi Arabia and an international perspective on happiness and positive psychology. Here to share his journey and his lessons learned along the way is David. So David, thank you for being here, my friend. No, thank you very much for having me, Drew. I'm excited. Thank you. You've done a lot of stuff. You've done a lot of stuff in your career. You've okay. Written, you've written <laughs> books. You are living in Dubai. You are uh, leading the charge in assessment technology and things like that. Back us up a little bit. How did we get here? How did you get into all this? Okay, interesting. So um, I've been a, a HR professional since I graduated um, back in the UK a long time ago now. Um, and uh, I, I actually got into HR because I, very unusually, I think, I actually got some really good careers advice at university. I think um, at the time uh, in the UK, um, uh, you didn't have to pay tuition to go to university. You just had to get the right grades. Um, and so I was fortunate enough to, you know, pursue my interests and to go to university, study labor market economics, but not really understand what I wanted to do for my career. And, um, as I said, I had a really good uh, careers guidance interview at university. They basically said, look, what is it you like doing at university? And let's see if we can map that to a career. So uh, I really used to like playing rugby, if you know rugby football. Um, and and um, we started a, a club and a team at the university. I, I became a coach with the uh, uh, rugby institution. And I really loved like running the sessions and organizing the sessions as well as playing. Um, we have like a seminar structure to, to college, to university in, in the UK. So every term, each student is responsible for running a seminar for a small group of people, mm. like 20 or 15 people on a particular subject in the curriculum. So I used to really like running those sessions, right, and preparing for those sessions. And then I also uh, was one of the editors of the student newspaper. So I used to really like uh, interviewing the rock bands, interviewing the politicians, uh, writing the articles, all this stuff. So I explained this to the careers counselor and he said, okay, well, look, you know, maybe you should consider a career in HR because some of these skills or some of these activities that you're involved in are related to some of the, the aspects in, in human resources. And honestly, at that stage, I knew nothing about human resources, right? So I, I researched a little bit and I, and I was fortunate enough to think that it was a really good match. And I started my career based on that guidance. So I was really fortunate i guess now and, as far uh, as as far as i know that hr can have one or two focuses right there's more of the like um the policies the 
the protections and the paperwork and that kind of stuff. And then there's the other side, which is the strategy and the development side of, was it both that you were passionate about or just more of the strategy and development side? Yeah. So I think like 35 years ago when this sort of thing was happening, uh, I think I was interested in, in all of it. I think what I've learned about myself and you talked about, you know, my career journey and, and whatever, I think what I've learned about myself since then is I'm much more orientated towards the development aspect of it. Um, I, I really, as my self-awareness has increased, um, I really feel, you know, like I'm, I'm really suited to being an entrepreneur. I'm really suited to sort of innovating because I love stretching the boundaries a little bit. Uh, I'm not really very good at following procedures or setting procedures or following mm-hmm. rules. Um, and definitely, you know, like one of the sort of aphorisms that's um, really uh, resonates with me is there's this saying in, in, in the UK that uh, rules are for the guidance of wise men and the adherence of fools, right? Like if you understand the reason for the rule or the purpose of what you're trying to achieve, then the rule is written in order to try and achieve that at some point. But there's all these cases and there's all these developments and new technology and new situations that come up. I like and as long that. as you're clear on the objective, um, then you should be flexible enough to consider the individual or consider the case-by-case situation. I think you can see this difference, right, between the United States Constitution, which is a very <laughs> clear rule-based system, and the UK Constitution, which is a little bit more sort of pragmatic in its application. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting. I like that phrase. Um, so where did the idea for the talent enterprise come from? Yeah, no, that's, that's a great question. So um, by that stage, so the, the talent enterprise is uh, 10 years old this year. It's an organization. Um, and by that stage, I've worked a lot in, in HR for various different organizations all around the world by that stage. Um, and I think what I... So I was increasingly working in Dubai and in uh, countries in Asia and Africa. And I think a lot of the HR best practice that we have in the industry is very Western in its orientation. Um, And so a lot of it was developed in the United States, developed in the Second World War, like the whole thing about, you know, having competency frameworks. That was something which was developed by the U.S. Army uh, and then taken into business in the 1950s and 1960s and then became very much a sort of uh, global HR standard. Um, And I think there's lots of great things about that that best practice, but first of all, it's quite an old uh, approach. And secondly, um, as I said, it's very Western in its orientation. So if you have a different culture, or if you have uh, uh, a very fast-moving, fast-growing organization or, or economy like we have, Uh, in the Middle East or in uh, Africa or in Asia in particular, then sometimes you need a slightly different approach, which is more appropriate to the situation. We have a much younger workforce here. Um, We have, you know, this young workforce is much better educated uh, than the previous previous, uh, generation. So there's a real uh, power to the younger generation, a bit like, again, how it was in the UK and the US in the 1960s. This type of atmosphere is there so everybody's interested in innovation everybody's questioning why do we do it this way why don't we think of a new way of doing things and so this uh context really made me feel that the way we used assessments in particular was quite traditional there was a lot of um opportunity for disruption in the industry mm. uh, essentially it's a publishing industry if you think about it so just like 
book publishing, how we watch TV, how we consume music, how we consume assessments uh, uh, should be much more focused on the end user uh, and the value of, uh, of what they get out of the system rather than the publisher. So we felt that it was a really interesting opportunity to, uh, to add some dynamism to that market. Yeah. How did, where did you start? Right? Like you have the target. I want mm. to disrupt this. I want to, I want to improve and innovate mm. on this. Where did you start? So I think we had to start really in two areas at the same time. So we're a self-funded company um, and, you know, we've been profitable since year one uh, and we've basically grown from the investment of our, of our reserves. So we had to earn money, right? Like we had to, uh, with myself and uh, another partner who started the company together. So we had to pay our salaries, pay our bills. So we, we had to grow our network and we had to build our brand. So we, we really had to work hard to do that. Uh, we'd had a good network established because of uh, the work that we'd done uh, previously, but we really had to leverage that and grow that. And then at the same time, the, the other priority was very much, we had to build uh, our intellectual property and we had to really start to think about how we could um, build, build our data because a lot of our assessments and the validity and the um, uh, the objectivity of our assessments is really based on the, the quantity and the quality of data that we capture so we can provide good benchmarking uh, and good reporting. So we really had to invest a lot in that at the beginning and make sure that we were then able to offer benchmarks that were relevant to the local environment and the local labor market rather than just rely on these global benchmarks all the time. That may, That's where my, my head was, was thinking about the validation and how long does that take, you know, for yeah. you to feel like it's, it's up to whatever standard a company or an, a user would think this is reliable. You know, they've tested it on enough people to, to know this yeah. is not just some guy in a hotel rooms theory on things, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's really important. Right. And you know, our, you know, I'm sure you've heard, right? Like everybody's saying in 21st century data is the new oil. Right. And, and so from day one, how we organize, how we, um, how we protect, how we uh, leverage and analyze our data was like one of the most important priorities. So today, uh, this year, uh, we're doing more than uh, a million assessments every year, right? So those wow. data points, so there's data points that we, we have in terms of obviously how people answer um, the assessments. We also measure and collect a lot of metadata um, in terms of how people orientate themselves or how they interact with the assessment. So all of this data uh, has to be organized in a way that you can use it. <laughs> um, and uh, keeping good, clean data is important both for data security and data ethics because we're GDPR compliant. We have a lot of um, clients in Europe um, and elsewhere in the world where we have to be able to give them uh, a record of all the data that we hold on them um, at, on request. Um, and this is sort of the minimum legal requirement that we follow around the world. Um, but then also, if you want to do really granular analysis and, and really be able to provide some really interesting benchmarks or multiple benchmarks, then um, the data organization is critical for us. Talk to me about the usefulness of uh, uh, assessments like yours. What, what do you see as the most you know, kind of valuable and useful things that either the individual who's taking it gets out of it and or maybe the, the, the hiring 
manager yeah. or whoever yeah. that's that's reviewing them no that's that's a great question i think and these two stakeholders we would see as our prime stakeholders right we're a sure. b2b company so the employer who's recruiting or who's doing a leadership development exercise uh, or sometimes we work a lot with educational institutions and maybe we're doing our own career guidance type of assessment as well they're our customer they're our client they're, they're the ones that are paying us and then the user the end user is the person you know we also want to make sure we're protecting uh, their data but we're also giving value to them so our overall vision um, is to make labor markets more efficient right so we want like any market you need good information to make it efficient right whether it's the stock market or whether it's the market for i don't know pork futures or grain or whatever else it might be right you need good information and it's the same with labor markets so what the assessments are designed to do is to give people and give organizations more information about their strengths and their talent and then enable them to make better decisions. So individuals, which career could they, they follow more productively? Uh, what types of jobs are gonna suit their strengths? And then for the, for the organization, how do they organize their project teams? How do they make sure um, that they're hiring the right people, particularly leaders who then have an influence over the productivity and positivity of all the people around them? Yeah, I love that. Now I'm curious, I'm sure you get questions like this a lot being in, in the industry you know, when someone says, well, why don't we just keep using Berkman or why don't we keep using predictive index or Colby or, yeah. you know, a handful of other really popular long established ones. Yeah. What do you say? Like, what is the differentiation or, um, yeah, talk, talk to me about that. Yeah, no, great. So look, I think it's a very well established industry. So some of the big names, like you mentioned, or probably the most famous one is the MBTI, the Myers-Briggs. Yeah, Myers-Briggs. Yeah, so that has been around since the almost 100 years, right? Um, so there are some very good tools that are still available, right? Uh, and sometimes we use them as well, right? We're not, we're not sort of uh, saying all the time that we have the best tools for everything. Sometimes there are some really good tools that are very valid, very predictive, very stable that we would highly recommend in certain circumstances. But in many cases, if you think about, let's take Myers-Briggs, for instance, right? There's a lot of research on Myers-Briggs and a lot of discussion about this, this tool in particular at the moment. I think there's even a film that's coming out, a documentary. Hmm. Um, this tool was developed literally at the kitchen table uh, uh, of a non-technical person, as I said, almost 100 years ago. Um, and it has some very dubious uh reliability issues in particular so if you take the myers-briggs assessment today um then uh, more than 60 percent of people who take it will get a different result within three months wow okay so um if it says i don't know you're an entp or you're whatever the particular one of 16 types that you might be yeah um then there's a more than 50 percent chance that you're going to come up as a different person within three months, right? Now, that's a problem, right? Because yeah. there's a lot of very um, very specific uh, uh, feedback that's given then about what the difference is between these types. If you're coming up at the margin, so if you're right on the borderline between being an E and an I, then it won't say you're right on the borderline and you're maybe a little bit of both. It will say you're an E, right? Right, and you're right. E, right? Um, and then I think, it's also quite a, from a scientific point of view, it's quite a populist 
tool in, in many ways, which can have benefits. So it's very easy to understand. It's great for things like team building or, you know, if you're doing it in a training course, and it's very quick. Um, but, you know, if, if there's, a, there's versions of this tool, right, where you can choose what Game of Thrones character you are or there's a Hello Kitty version of MBTI, <laughs> right? Like that's okay if it's just used for fun and it was just like a sort of BuzzFeed questionnaire type of thing or, you know, my next boyfriend will have blue eyes or brown eyes or whatever else it might be. But it's not really very good as a, uh, a point of decision uh, making for somebody's career. I don't think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, there are lots of good tools. There are lots of good applications for tools, but like any tool in, you know, in the, in the toolbox in your, in your shed, um, you've got to use the right tool for the right job. Right. And you've got to know what that tool can do and what, what that tool can't do. Yeah. Uh, so although it's got a great brand, um, it's really got some problems in terms of its application. Yeah. I totally get that. Yeah. So, so how does yeah, so sorry to go back to your question quickly because I don't think I fully answered that question. So one one problem with some of these tools is that the original source data is very old, right? So literally, if you think about it, the, even if they are valid and even if they are uh, still reliable, the data that they're talking about is about you know my great grandmother, right, and what she would like to do in the workplace, right? Not really what I would like to do or what my nieces and nephews would like to do. Yeah. Um, and for sure, people's orientations and their expectations about work and the style of working has changed quite dramatically. Second thing is going back to this cultural aspect, right? Like if if the most of this original data obviously was from the US and from the US in the 1920s, right? So then if you take that to a place like Singapore or you take that to a place like Dubai and you're working with a company that's, I don't know, making um, silicon chips, um, that's really not necessarily a fully relevant tool, right? It's not necessarily giving somebody an insight into how a Singaporean Chinese person who studied uh, how to grow silicon chips uh, is going to want to orientate themselves to the workplace. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. What, you know, like you said, Myers-Briggs has 16 types, four letters, that kind of thing. How is yours structured? Yeah, so ours is, uh, we actually have 34 different factors. So we have a, a tool called the Thriving Index, uh, which is um, registered with the British Psychological Society. Not that I think... The British society is the best, but it's it's sort of like a very transparent standard which measures things like reliability, predictive validity, um, stability, etc. Um, and it's like a sort of industry endorsement. Um, so it measures a lot of things around positive psychology and a lot of our clients and a lot of employers are really interested in this stuff. Right. So mm. stuff like grit, stuff like resilience, stuff like growth mindset, dealing with ambiguity. Uh, how you like to collaborate with other people, your courage, um, all of these factors which have an impact on your positivity and productivity at work. Um, and they give additional insights, whether it's for development or for recruitment purposes, um, in addition to things that people can already know about you, right? Like, you know, what are your uh, educational qualifications? What's your previous experiences? Like? So we can give some really good insights then into probing questions um, that really help the individual and the employer to make better career choices. When you think about the, you know, I, I'm curious about your book and the title, The Future of Assessments. Mm -hmm. I know we've talked about some of it, the update, the, the antiquated 
data and all of that kind of stuff. But is there anything else as you look forward that you, you're still excited about as you see the future for assessments? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, obviously we're talking about human behavior, right? And, and if these tools are purely psychometric, psychometric means, you know, being able to measure behavior or predict behavior, right? So we, we're talking about using it in the workplace. And I think there's lots of additional things we can do in the workplace. So one of the, the things um, that, that we talk about at the talent enterprise is behavior metrics, right? So very much one of the things that we're predicting is that, you know, things like the questionnaire will be dead within 10 years, right? So very much the whole of social science research is based around the questionnaire, right? If you want to measure something or if you're doing something in marketing or even in, you know, in the workplace, I'm sure your inbox is full of survey requests, right? Uh, and there's survey fatigue for sure. The survey is a proxy measure, right? So it's asking you about things, about what you will do, won't do, what you think about something or how you believe you behave in certain circumstances. So there's obviously a difference there between how you say you behave and how you actually behave, right? So there should sure. be some aspirational things. Maybe you want to get this job really badly. And, you know, you say, you know, if somebody asks you, what's your weakness? You say, oh, I'm a workaholic and all this sort of <laughs> area type stuff. Um, so if we can get rid of the proxy measure and we can measure behavior directly, this is more powerful. So there's lots of ways that we can do that already. And there'll be more in the future, right? So if we're looking at employee engagement, for instance, right, or how motivated someone is or how much energy somebody someone has, we can we can start to tell that directly from behavior metrics. So the sort of things that we're uh, exchanging with each other is obviously our words, but our gestures and our body language can display some of this and the congruity between what we say and how we say it gives a, a very stable measure of authenticity. Okay, so if you say, I'm very excited about joining this organization, but you don't behave like you're excited, yeah. that's, that's a potential problem. Or as I said, if we're measuring employee engagement, we can ask people like how engaged you feel and how interested are you in this organization? Do you say good things about your job to your friends and family? Or one aspect of uh, engagement, we can, we can set up a video in a public place in the organization, like the reception area or something, right? Where everybody comes into and out of the building. And there's a thing called gait analysis, right? Like the cadence or the, the rhythm of how you walk. Hmm. We can measure using AI technology, uh, the, the gait that you use when you're walking into the, the place that you work in, when you're walking around, when you leave the organization, it's a very reliable indication of your level of engagement and energy and positivity at that particular time. Wow. That's yeah. both exciting to me and scary to me. Yeah. <laughs> exciting so because one of the yeah. thing I hate the most about assessments is that I have a hard time answering the assessments. Yeah, right. There's many times either I don't know myself well enough to answer that, yeah. or I'm like, I don't know, on Monday, I might go this way, Tuesday, I might feel this cool. way. So cool. I love the idea of something more objective, being able to help me yeah. discover. It also scares me a little bit that we'd be analyzing my walk through the office or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So we, we have to be really careful about this stuff. You're absolutely right, right? And the data ethics is really critical. So um, making sure that we have enough data, enough unbiased data um, is really, you know, again, while I was saying earlier, the data play is really important because if you don't have good, clean, reliable data, then you can't really make any conclusions that are, are 
are worthwhile, right? And um, yeah. if you if you have an organization today which is very I don't know, male, pale, and stale, and then you take that data and you say, this is how we want to automate it, well, then that's what you're going to continue to end up with, right? And that's not necessarily the right thing. There's two other things in the workplace which I think are, are interesting. So the other one is um, using the metaverse, right? So using uh, virtual reality as a direct measure. So rather than, you know, giving somebody a case study, right? And saying, okay, read all this information and giving instructions. And then, you know, you have to write a presentation or you have to write an email or give a voice message about how you would deal with this situational complaint at work, right? It's a sort of standard way of measuring people's behavior. We can, instead of, again, giving them instructions, because most of the time in work, let's face it, we don't get instructions, right? Yeah. Uh, just give them the, Put them in a situation a very immersive engaging situation and sometimes they can collaborate with other people but they're not given instructions right they have to discover what the situation is what the problem is what the challenge is and they have to discover the solution to that whether it's an individual assessment or again working out you know does somebody else have different information than i have uh, does somebody have a different perspective than i have and maybe we can collaborate or maybe we can share and find the solution so this can be very powerful. It can be very iterative. So obviously you can normally the first time you can fail massively and then you can reset it and you can do it again two or three or four times, no problem. So this can be very indicative of really uh, revealing people's behaviors directly, again, with no proxy measure. Mm. Right. So this is, a, this is a big growth area, particularly if more of us are spending more time working remotely, we're collaborating globally and we're doing it asynchronously in different areas, uh, different parts of the world, this can be also very powerful. Um, and then I think the other aspect is, is around metadata. Okay, so thinking about all the additional information that we can gather about people's uh, preferences and capabilities at work, apart from what they actually do in the assessment. I mean, I remember in the old days, right, I always used to make a point of if I was interviewing someone, and of course this was all face-to-face, -face, making sure I accompanied them to the lift or to the door or to the car park and chatted with them along the way, right? Because you'd ask people, how do they think it went or where are they going now or what their plans are for the weekend or whatever else it might be. And they would be relaxed, right? Because they would think, oh, interview is over, thank God. Right, right. Um, and they would reveal something, right? Something really positive or something... There might have been a concern that they wouldn't have revealed in the interview. And the same with uh, the way people conduct themselves during assessment. So we have a platform, a uh, software platform called Lighthouse. So we can measure you know, how people behave in Lighthouse uh, as well as how they uh, conduct the assessment. So Lighthouse looks and feels very much like a sort of Netflix situation. So you have lots of cards with all the different assessments you need to complete and you click on each one and it's sort of like an individualized personal journey. But we can then say, okay, if you've got five assessments, right? So if you've got like a, I don't know, a numerical reasoning assessment, which is three minutes long, and if you've got a gamified uh, spatial awareness uh, assessment, which is two minutes long, and then you've got a error detection assessment, which is four minutes long, and then you've got a thriving index, and maybe you've got, I don't know, some other assessment, right? Which one do you choose first? That mm. reveals something about your confidence about each one, right? Do you feel like, oh, I'm really good with numbers. I'm going to do the numerical one first. And probably how uh, long did it take you to, 
decide yeah. which one to play first. That would be me. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be like, oh, yeah, this right. guy yeah. has a hard yeah. time being decisive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's, and it's a bit like the, you know, the, the IKEA furniture thing, right? When you go to IKEA, this is probably more men do this than women, I don't know, but like you buy the bookshelf or whatever it is, right? And you take it home. Do you rip it all open and dive straight in and try and make it without reading the instructions? And then find out, oh, maybe this is not right, or I've got two pieces left over, or whatever it might be. Uh, and then you read the instructions, or are you more meticulous and you read the instructions, you do all the practice questions, you highlight certain things, and then you start the assessment, right? This is a very revealing uh, aspect to um, your preferences and your capabilities at work, as well as how you perform. You know, it's fascinating to me, assessments, uh in particular just bits and pieces of several different assessments i would say have have definitely changed my life in the positive um massive in showing me patterns that i began to see were predictive patterns like yes these are true patterns Mm. that have caused me pain and being able to see it was very helpful like wow oh yeah that is where that comes from or i do keep driving into that ditch, you know, professionally or relationally. And then vice versa, like clues towards where real strengths were and things that I would enjoy. And it was like, oh, now that I see that, yeah, I do want to lean into that more. And it's leading, it's led to what I'm doing now. And I'm very happy and feel like I'm able to contribute really well. But it's funny to me, uh, or, or I get funny, or I'm just curious there is a really large percentage of people that you come across that just think it's total bullshit, you know, that are like, what, what are you even doing? No, those things are just making stuff up, you know, and people just like talking about themselves and they find no value in it or they, they kind of scoff about it. And I'm just curious. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you think that is? See, I think sometimes people in organizations, and that's where we, we use most of our assessments. Sometimes people in organizations are, Uh, concerned about being assessed, right? Because maybe they've attained a certain position or maybe they have a certain level of experience and and deservedly so, you know, they get respect for that in the workplace. Um, And then they're concerned that if somebody comes in and gives an objective uh, view of their capability, are they going to somehow be questioned about that or are they somehow going to be at risk because of that, right? So it's very important that, um, you know, that we, makes sense. we're transparent about the purpose of it. I think the statistics and the science around what we do, we try to make it very transparent and we're very happy to have very detailed technical discussions with, with anybody, right? And you can go on our website, you can see some of the research papers that we published there. You know, we're proud of the statistics and, you know, we're talking about human behavior. So normally the sort of predictive validity about each of the, the factors that we have we're very high in the industry, right? So we have like the coefficient sometimes are 0.6, some, sometimes up to 0.7. Um, that's very good for human behavior, right? Um, so we can't, we can't treat human beings as, uh, uh, as anything other than individuals who are unique. Um, we have to have lots and lots of data to give benchmarks to talk about whether someone is high or low or medium compared to the benchmark. Yeah. of hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, and that's where it has power. Um, and it has power also if you, as you said, if you lean into it and you try and say, well, what's this say about me? What can I learn from this? 
Um, and how am I going to use this, right? I mean, how is it going to help me uh, either to get myself in a situation where, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm scoring more goals, right? Because I'm, I'm enjoying myself more. I'm uh, uh, being more productive. Um, you know, there's a very famous football player, soccer player, if you know, called Lionel Messi, right? Like, I think he's oh, won yeah. the, the golden uh, ball more than any other player, right? So, you know, if I was his coach, right, and I was like trying to give him feedback about his behavior as a football player, a professional, um, you know, he, he's got the best record of goal scoring and assists, right? Than I think of anyone, right? Um, but he's not the best in defense at all, mm. right? And he normally just sort of hangs around and the sort of meters that he covers in a game is relatively low because he stays in the attack part of the field most of the time. But if I was his coach, I wouldn't criticize him for his defense, right? I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell him that, Lionel, you have to run back very fast and you have to protect the goal and, because what's going to happen? He's going to score less goals, right? He's going to make less, less assists. So you'd say, look, these are your strengths. How can we put you in a position and build a team around him? And this, I think, is what's great about having uh, the chance to be part of your own organization. How can you build right. a team around you which enhances your strengths leverages your strengths um, but also you can work with people who have complementary strengths right which mean that you know you're not getting exhausted and depleted doing those things that if you're in a big organization I'm speaking personally you know you absolutely hate doing sometimes um, and it takes all your energy and takes all your attention and you're not scoring more goals right yeah has that been fun has it been challenging what's it been like to do that with your own organization because you're helping outside yeah. organizations with talent development and strategy and those kinds of things. And then you've built, obviously I had to build a team, right? Um, yeah. Has it been fun? Has it been difficult and experience? Like what has it been like to, to organize some talent and team around? Yeah. You? So look, I mean, honestly, I mean, you, you know, and I'm sure your listeners know also, right? Like being an entrepreneur and starting your own business is a lot of hard work, right? There's no denying it, right? So, um, but if you are somebody who enjoys working hard, but enjoys getting results. For me, it was very liberating. And I really wish that I'd done it way earlier than 10 years ago. Um, and I think um, uh, I really felt like coming out of a big organization where for me, like the depleting thing was about, you know, managing the matrix structure that you have in consulting organizations or managing your network or being sort of political with a small P. I hated this type of stuff, right? Mm. I found it very distracting. Um, I'm very fortunate. My my, you know, my co-founders. It was great to work with other people at the beginning. I think if you're a, a somebody who's working by yourself, starting your own organization, I think that that can be much more challenging. It would be for me anyway. Um, uh, and I think, uh, yeah, I think building that self awareness, like you said, I, I think that's my journey, right? Like, I gradually whether it's through assessments through career guidance or just thinking why am i keep driving into this ditch like you said uh, you sort of gradually get to to learn more about yourself and more about your strengths and where you can differentiate yourself um and where you're just not interested or you don't really have much to offer right i mean that's, that's yeah the truth. what have you learned about yourself just as i'm getting to know you like take some of that awareness about your personality and, and, and not in all of life, but let's say in the entrepreneurial journey, like what do you know about yourself based on uh, your own self-assessment? 
Okay, so, so I think we should do a 360. We should, you should ask my co-founders. But I, <laughs> I would say if I've got good self-awareness, I would say, I mean, I think I'm an energetic, enthusiastic person. Um, I think I have pretty good ideas. So I'm, I'm quite innovative. Uh, I like the technicalities of stuff. So, you know, I like research and statistics and stuff like that. I'm not so good at the implementation or the follow-up or the detail, right? And, Got it, and, yep. And, um, some of my colleagues are absolutely fantastic at that, and I'm so fortunate to work with them. <laughs> yeah. What would drain you the fastest if someone were to give you a, a responsibility or a task? Um, see, I think what I really enjoy, I like getting results, right? And and whether that's within my own company, the talent enterprise, or with that's, whether that's with my clients. And so I get frustrated if I feel like things are taking too long or these guys aren't serious or um, so that that can lead to frustration right what I really enjoy doing is uh, achieving results or getting this sense of progress yeah yeah um, that's that yeah that is interesting anything that would cause you to slow down I, I would imagine things that you're, you're still scratching your head like what's the point like what is the result are we just yeah. doing this to do yeah. this does that kind of stuff drive you crazy yeah, absolutely yeah I mean I think you know, if you, you know, I've worked in, in HR as sort of like a HR manager for, for organizations, right? So, and the great thing about doing that is that you, you have ownership of this, right? So you can work on the implementation, you can work with early adopters, you can pick up people who are not following the new approach, you know, you can, you can be there every day, right? From Monday morning to Friday night, and you can make sure this mm. stuff slowly happens, right? Whether it's a transformation or a new structure or whatever else it, it might be. If you're a consultant or if you're a B2B service provider, then there's a fixed scope to what you're doing, right? And there's a normally a start and a finish. And sometimes you you feel like, okay, my job is finished and I'm formally not here anymore, but I want to make sure this implementation and this follow-up uh, happens, right? And uh, we want to make sure that, uh, that uh, all this work, all these research insights or all these uh, talent insights that we've gathered get implemented in a very uh, meaningful way. Yeah. So if, if someone's listening right now, that's a founder of a company interested in bringing in this assessment to their organization and utilizing it, where would we send them? What, what would be the best next step for them? So when I mean, you can find out a lot more information from our website, which is uh, www.thetalententerprise.com. Uh, and in particular, so you'll see stuff about our assessments and, uh, uh, and our software and everything that's available there but you'll also see a lot of research papers and publications that we have made so you can uh, download those you can uh, see them you can obviously follow up and ask us any questions you might have you can contact me um, so it's david at the talententerprise.com or i'm on linkedin um, and yeah i'll be happy to answer any questions you have and of course there's the books which you can order through Amazon. And uh, if you have any questions following up from that, then I'd, I'd love to uh, continue the conversation. And if there, if someone's listening, that's just a, an individual, they're an entrepreneur. And mm. would you say that this is useful for them as well, just for their for their own growth or? Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting. So one of the big career tracks that we give career guidance on is about entrepreneurialism, right? And I think, um, there are particular characteristics which, uh, whilst it's really interesting, right? So, whilst being an entrepreneur, particularly over the last 10, 15 years, has become a much more 
culturally attractive thing to do, right? Uh, being like a sole trader before that was seen as like a slightly quirky, odd thing to have done. Um, whereas now it's obviously very much like given the respect that it deserves. But on the other hand, a lot of young people in particular, maybe if they don't have a lot of work experience and they don't have a lot of self-awareness, um, have this sort of entrepreneur type phenomenon, right? Like I want to be that entrepreneur. I want to be successful, but the steps to get there or the, the sort of foundational experience of setting up your organization is not the same as being in that situation where you have success, whatever that might mean. So I think the, the sort of grit, the resilience, the energy um, is really, really, really critical. Dealing with ambiguity is sure. really critical for entrepreneurs um, and having feedback and having uh, an awareness of your suitability for that situation is very important. Uh, and sometimes it's about timing as well, right? Some uh, lines of business, you need to build a network or you need to build technical expertise before you can do that. And so, yeah, the assessments and the feedback and the coaching around it can really help to uh, give some insights and give some power to people who uh, have that as an aspiration. Awesome. Well, David, this has been a fantastic conversation. I've learned a bunch. I'm excited uh, to know that there is fresh new technology and approaches uh, that are respecting the past, but also innovating where innovation is needed and necessary, especially with the tools uh, that are now becoming available with AI and machine learning and all data science and all that kind of stuff, as well as, like you said, the changing landscape of culture and things are different now. So Man, I'm very inspired by you and the work you're doing. If you're listening, please go check out the Talent Enterprise. Uh, would love for me to even hear your experience of it, and I'm going to go That's check great. it out. Okay, great. Uh, but David, thank you for being on the podcast. I'd love to have you back on. Maybe um, we could even get some questions from the audience at some point as well, too, that I think would be fascinating to inform our conversation. That would be great. I'd love it. Love it. Thank you so much, Drew. Awesome, David. Take care, man. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.